Good day, everyone. My name is Cassie Deluria, and this is the official podcast of the Network for Social Democracy in Asia, where we break down social and political issues and discuss progressive policies through the lens of human rights, equality, and justice. You can listen to us on Anchor Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and Radio Public. Today, we have the editor-in-chief of the Sokdem Asia Quarterly, Mr. Francis Isaac. So, hi, he is joining us from remote. Where are you today, Mr. Francis? I'm now in La Union. I've been mm-hmm. here for the past, I think, uh, five, four months. Mm-hmm. Since the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. All of us know a lot about that. For our listeners joining us all across Asia, La Union is a city, is that correct? Or a town that is quite a ways away from Manila. Province. Where it's a province quite a ways away from Manila. And all of us here in the Philippines have been locked down for quite a while, but we are making the most of it, like with our podcast today. So we are gathered here today to talk about a very special topic for Sokdem Asia. And we are sitting here together today to talk about socialism and democracy and the relationship between the two topics when it comes to moving forward and working together towards a world that we want to live in. So I actually want to bring Francis into this now. So I guess before we talk about socialism and democracy, it's very important for us to discuss what sort of world do we want to live in? Like what world do we live in now? And what are the things that we want to change? Well, I think in the world that we live right now is a world that, well, it's obviously full of flaws and imperfections. Uh, You have climate change. uh, You have a pandemic that's been around for the past since November, late, late, late November, mm-hmm. uh, there are tensions in, 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 in almost every continent. Inequality is growing. So you, you, we are living in a world wherein the, the ideal promise of liberal democracy is far from, it's is not happening. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the reason why, why socialism, despite the, 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 this vehement campaign of, of trying to, to discredit socialism and social democracy as, uh, as ideologies is gaining traction again, especially in, in large parts of the West and hopefully also here in Asia. Oh yes, I definitely agree. Before we dive into those uh, concepts, I actually want to ask you a little bit about liberal democracy. Like when you say liberal uh, yeah. democracy and the promises that it has made, can you elucidate a little bit about that for us? Okay, what, 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 what do we mean by, by liberal democracy? Liberal democracy means one, uh, it's a combination of liberalism and, and democracy. Liberalism means individual rights, civil, civil liberties, and democracy means uh, fair, free, uh, regular, competitive elections. So, so you, you, you fuse them together. So competitive elec- fa- mm-hmm. free competitive elections with civil rights. So that has been the promise of liberal democracy. If you f- fuse these two principles together, you will have an ideal society. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not the case. Because what is lacking in liberal democracy is the social question. Uh, even though we may be, we may have free, fair, competitive elections. Although we may have human rights, we have the freedom of speech and the freedom to organize. If our social and economic needs are not addressed, then those rights, those democratic freedoms that we enjoy, are all for nothing. That's the reason why 
the socialist movement has been has been has has been created in order to address the flaws and the lacunae in in liberal democracy its inability to realize the social inequalities in society and those social inequalities will not be addressed by elections alone mm. you need social welfare you need free education you, you need uh, social protection in order for the 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 this dream of human dignity can be fully realized okay So I have two questions that came from the introduction that you just gave us. And feel free to answer them in whatever order you find is more appropriate. But the first idea that comes to mind, I just want to mention it so it doesn't get forgotten. You mentioned all of these things like education and healthcare that are questions that are not answered by liberal democracy. But your earlier definition of, of liberal democracy basically being defined as if we have free and fair elections, then everything is just perfect. Why is it that concept, that that idea has failed to meet the needs of people when the idea is that if everybody in a democracy can vote, then of course they will vote for things that are good for them. So the assumption is that if you have widespread franchise, then people yeah. can vote into policy like free education or free healthcare. But why isn't that yeah. the case? I think the beauty in liberal democracy is it, it believes in the formal equality of all individuals. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Uh, one person, one vote. Uh, everybody has to enjoy uh, civil liberties, human rights. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the promise of liberal democracy. What the problem with liberal democracy is that it does not recognize the inequality of power okay. that exists in society. And by inequality of power, it doesn't only mean political power, but also economic power. Mm-hmm. Even if you have one person, one vote, come election day, uh, the equality that you have are mere formalities. Mm-hmm. But in the end, those who have greater power, those who have greater resources, would have a greater say on the ballot box. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, Let's let's not go for hearing the situation here in 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 Asia. Even though you have universal franchise, everybody of voting age uh, can vote. I would assume that poor people, because of the need for survival, would readily sell their votes to the highest bidder in order to survive for another day. Mm. So that the, those the reality of social inequality basically undermines those beautiful principles of liberal democracy. Okay. So it, you may have a very ideal, uh, as, you, as you said, dandy view of the world through, liber, through liberal democratic, to, uh, to a liberal democratic prism, but, real, the, but the social realities would hit you on the face. Mm-hmm. And that basically undermines this beautiful ideal of liberal democracy. So I just have to ask this for me. It's a point yeah. of interest for me. Would you say that the shortcoming of liberal democracy is short-sightedness, basically, or naivete about the way the world is ordered and operates? I think the short-sightedness of liberal democracy comes from two sources. Mm-hmm. Number one is its agedness. Oh boy! Remember, it's it's the first it's the first ideology that modern ideology that emerged uh, during the uh, 17th century. Uh, basically, conservatism was basically a, re- a reaction to, to liberal democracy. So, in, in, in political terms, it's a, it's a very old ideology. So, the assumptions that the first philosophs had in the 17th and 18th century are no longer applicable in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the idea then was in, in, in an age of, of autocracy, in an age of divine right, 
what you need is to enfranchise everyone, have everyone the right to vote and the, the same equal right to, to participate uh, in the political process. That was, that was the initial liberal democratic project. That's no longer the case. Now, now we see the limitations of that vision. Unfortunately, there are still the defend, there are certain defenders of liberal democracy that defend liberal democracy from a very dogmatic ideological point of view. And that, that dogmatism blinds them from the, rea from the social inequalities that stare us on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So you have the agedness of liberal democracy, and then you have the dogmatism of its present contemporary ideological defenders. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, where do you think this, their dogmatism comes from? Like, why is their defense of liberal democracy so fervent? One, uh, I think, I think if you're if you if you're a if you're a person that is so engrossed in books, mm. then what you see is textbook realities, but you don't see the realities outside of the textbooks that you that that, that you read. Second mm. is that let's let's remember that most of the ideologues of liberal democracy, uh, the contemporary ideologues, Francis Fukuyama, Larry Diamond, mm -hmm. these are all people who enjoy basically the affluence of the of, of the West, yeah, living in the first world. They live in the first world. That's not the situation here in Asia. Mm -hmm. The situation here in Asia is that before the pandemic, we were the, the, the most vibrant, vibrant econ continent in the world in terms of, of, of the economy. Mm -hmm. The Asian economy was growing by 7% at the average since 1990. Mm -hmm. So you have this very dynamic economy, but the inequality is so gross and so unjust that the 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 economic benefits benefits are only benefiting a very small segment of the asian population mm -hmm. so you have you you have you have this tremendous growth and then this this uh, yawning gap between the the, the rich and, and the poor those the, those stark realities cannot be solved by free fair competitive elections alone mm -hmm. you need yes. you, you you need a social or if I dare say a socialist vision to address uh, uh, th those flaws and those stark realities that we have here in the Asia Pacific region. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before let I just want to lay down a definition that you gave earlier, just so that we are all on the same page before we move forward. But yeah. so we basically understand democracy as a system wherein there is widespread franchise and people get to yeah. people get to. Uh, cast ballots according to their own beliefs in a one-to-one -one yeah. situation, ideally. So, so now that we've laid down that definition, I have to ask now, how do social democratic or socialist ideas fix the problems that are left unanswered by liberal democracy? I think the, 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 the operational word in social democracy is the term social. Mm -hmm. uh, because what li liberal democracy provides is political democracy. But as I've said, the social inequalities are not being addressed. So that has been the project of the workers' movement that began in the West since the 19th century, addressing the social gap in the political democratic setup that liberal Democrats are trying to create. Uh, that's the, the, and that's how socialism eventually emerged and in, 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 evolved over time. It's addressing the social needs and the social inequalities in in society, so that you can fully realize uh, human dignity. So that mm -hmm. means workers' rights, uh, free education, universal health care, and uh, social protection, especially for the elderly and the senior citizens. 
So those are the things that uh, that uh, that socialism has been fighting for. But to be to be to be more academic about it, pardon pardon the term, to be more academic no about problem. it. The formal definition of socialism is it's the public ownership of the means of production and exchange. So if you if you if you define democracy, that's it. It's the public ownership of the means of production and exchange. I think in 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 contemporary times. I think what has to be emphasized is that one, the public has control over the means of production. So the factories, the the the, the large land holdings, the banks, the transportation system, and if you have if the public has control over the means of production, that's actually democracy. That's an aspect mm -hmm. of democracy. So I, I I I I'd like to give my own twist on the definition of socialism, and I'd like to see it as the democratization of the means of production and exchange. Mm -hmm. So that's how that's how I, that's how you operationalize uh, socialism, and that's how you fuse socialism and, and, and democracy. Yes, a decentralization of power, if you will. A decentralization of power. Okay, I have to do a follow-up clarification. So, does an advocacy for social democracy does is that is that equal to a rejection of liberal democratic institutions? There's this there's this phrase from sir from uh, from uh, Isaac Newton and he said that uh, that uh, scientists today are standing on the shoulders of giants. Meaning the reason why he's great is because there were great thinkers and scientists before him who he followed. So you had Aristotle, you had Plato, you you had this you you, you had Kepler, you had these greats. I think that's also applicable in when it comes to the study of ideology and, and political systems. The ideologies that are that are deve developed later on in history are basically improvements of previous ideologies and ideas that have been developed uh, in, uh, in, in in previous years. So, social democracy and socialism per se is not a rejection of liberal democracy. Mm -hmm. It's actually. Uh, appropriating the positive elements of liberal democracy, human rights, competitive elections, and then fusing it with the question, fusing it with the project of addressing social inequality, mm -hmm. free healthcare, free education, social protection. So mm -hmm. it's not a rejection, but an you get the best of liberal democracy. And yeah, in an improvement, you get the best of liberal democracy and try to question and try to ask yourself, where are the flaws? What are the elimination of, of liberal democracy? And then we try to build from there. So it's not a it's it's not a rejection of the philosophy. It's not a rejection of, of, of liberal democracy. But it's 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 more of a question of what were the limitations of the previous uh, ideological systems that were that were that were developed, and where do we go from here? Brilliant. Yeah, and I have I, I think that can kick off the next vein of our um of our conversation. Like where do we go from here? It's very unfortunate because the gap in wealth is increasing all over the world. And the idea or the assumption that we would have is that social democratic ideas will be catching on more all over the world. And like we do work to do that. But what do you think are the reasons that prevent social democracy from really catching on? Like, what are the things that people are afraid of? What are the talking points that opponents would bring up to muddle the conversation or to maybe mm. even outright misrepresent social democracy? I can only speak for social democracy here in the Asian region. Okay, uh, sure. I will not, 
uh, 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 delve on social democracy in in the West. Uh, mm-hmm. But here in the Asian region, we should remember uh, two things. First, uh, during and immediately after the Second World War, social democracy or the left in general was a very strong movement in in, in the Asian region. And the reason was that it was the social democrats. It was it were the social. It, it was the, it it was the socialists who led the struggle for independence. And that's the reason why you had socialists who became heads of state shortly after the Second World War. You had uh, you, you had Nehru in India. You had uh, Sukarno in, in Indonesia. You had uh, General uh, Aung San in in, in Burma. So mm-hmm. the, the social democratic movement was very strong during the first part first half of the of the 20th century but by the beginning of the 1960s the political terrain shift from the left to to the right so by the 1960s you had a lot of right-wing military dictatorship in in asia of course we here in the philippines we had we had marcos and in, in, mm-hmm. in indonesia you had soharto you in, in south korea you had uh, Sing Man Reed, then later on uh, Park Chung Hee, and, and then even in Malaysia you had a very you had a very dominant party system with with Omno at at, at the helm, and mm-hmm. for these right wing authoritarian uh, rulers to to remain in power, one strategy that that they use was they demonize social democracy and in the left in general. So the 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 are two, if you say criticisms of lip, of social democracy is one. It's it's part of a global communist conspiracy, so we were equated with 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 the authoritarian left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one one line of attack is that uh, you know social democracy is nice, but uh, it's applicable in the West. Conditions are different here in Asia. Mm-hmm. So in here in Asia, you need a strong leader in order for you to 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 make sure that people are are would follow the law, that people are 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 disciplined. Otherwise, if you give in too much democracy, everything goes anarchic and and social disaster would 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 would, would ensue. So mm-hmm. those 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 two lines of attack has been so ingrained that it's difficult for the left, especially for social democrats, to regain the dominant political position that they had that they had pre nineteen sixty. It's it's still an 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 an, an uphill climb. But I I, I think. One thing that we should that we should remember is that there's now a global shift in in terms of the appreciation of socialism. Socialism right now is gaining traction in the West among young people. You so you have Bernie Sanders, you have yes. AOC in the United States. In in 2015, Syriza in Greece mm. won one political mm-hmm. power, and then uh, the our Danish comrades had. had, had Regained had regained political power under New Zealand, uh, New Zealand too, and uh, also Finland. Finland mm-hmm. not only has a social democratic prime minister, mm-hmm. they also have the second youngest prime minister in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's now a global shift in favor of the left, at least in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think the challenge for us progressives here in Asia is that not only replicating the success of our comrades in the West, but how do you give social democracy an Asian face? How do you tweak the message so that it can address the social conditions that we have here in here in 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 the region? We may share the same social democratic vision, but we also have to adjust our messaging based on the conditions that that confront us here in here in in, in the region. So I think that's the that's the that's the challenge for us. And I think that 
uh, I'm still optimistic that young people can still be attracted to to social democracy and socialism. I mean, look at Thailand. I mean, oh, yeah. our comrades in in the in the progressive movement are mobilizing thousands of young young people on the streets of Bangkok to demand democracy and 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 and, and, and to the de facto junta. Mm-hmm. Uh, young people are are being organized on the issue of climate change, whether in the West or here in 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 Asia. I I am very optimistic of the future. I think that the 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 the, the, the and I'm very confident of the organizing capacity of our of our, of our young comrades. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Yeah, so I definitely agree. We have comrades all over Asia who are showing us honestly, like showing us and showing the rest of the world that we can indeed change our systems for the better. Given the context that we are operating under, so our comrades in Thailand are mobilizing against Ahunta, and we have youth all over Asia who are coming together to stand against climate change. Progressive parties have been operating under harsher conditions in at least Mm, half a decade. There's the phenomenon of populism, authoritarian resurgence, and even autocratization. Do you think that socialism or social welfare projects can be pursued despite the prevailing climate? Yeah, I think the, the, the question is not is not can but but how. Okay. Uh, first of all, and I, I'll be very ideological about it. I think the commitment to social welfare is the defining attribute of social democracy. We are social democrats because we are committed to social welfare, to free education, to universal healthcare. Those things are are non-negotiable. There can be no compromise on those two on, on those issues if you are a uh, you are a social democrat. So you have to fight for social welfare along with democracy if you are a social democrat. Mm-hmm. I think the, the I think the challenge for us is how do we incorporate this the the the, the campaign for social welfare in our struggle for democracy. So I think it's a question not of can, but it's a question of, of, of strategy. What strategy do we use so that we can achieve the twin goals of democracy on one hand and social welfare on, on, on the other? That's another, like, that's another overarching question for this session that I would like to ask. That, well, given who we are, like our position as social democrats in Asia and as citizens of our country, people who live in Asia, or and like members of a global community. Do you believe that social democracy or socialism and democracy are two concepts that are inextricable from one another? Uh, I think I can uh, I think I can answer that in four words. Oh. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so I kind of want to get into practicalities now, like things that are more specific to things that have happened in Asia. So as the editor-in-chief of Sokdem Asia's Quarterly, so I know that you have quite a bit of experience documenting the work of our comrades across the region. Have you come across challenges in your research that point to the weakening of the democratic movement or of socialist or social democratic movements in Asian countries? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, as I said, uh, we have been on the defensive since the 1960s because of mm. the rise of uh, of right-wing authoritarian regimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what I failed to mention earlier was that, uh, and this is the second contribution of social democracy, uh, apart from gaining, being uh, apart from the role in national independence. 
the, the social democrats were were pivotal in the movement for democracy during the 80s and 90s which led to the in in academic terms the third wave of democratization so you had mm -hmm. uh, the people power revolution in 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 here in the philippines in 86 87 you had taiwan and south korea democratizing you had the uh, democratization movement in nepal and all the way to the fall of suharto in 1998 all those uh, series of democratic transitions, social democrats were uh, in the thick of the battle. Mm. So we are in the period of we were in the we were in the spirit of rebuilding our strength after the democratic transition, and then came the right-wing populist. Mm -hmm. You had uh, you, uh, you, of course you have Duterte here in the Philippines. Uh, you have uh, the BJP in India. Of course, the situation in the West is also. Uh, troubling is also it's also troubling. Uh, so you're in the, we're in the process of reconsolidating our forces, and here we are. We're not yet done with the consolidation. Here mm -hmm. we are. We're being confronted with a new challenge, mm -hmm. and uh, so I, I, I so that's I, I think is the situation that we are in right now. We will be we will be confronting phases. Let me say that uh, say that. Uh, loud and clear, we are we are, we are confronting fascists and populists in a situation wherein our strength has not much our has not much the strength that we had back in the 1930s and and, and 40s. So mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the threat is real. The challenge that we face is 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 is, is very difficult. So I think that's the the the. the the role of young people in, in, in this current situation becomes even more important because if we want to if we want to to continue the fight and I think this is this will be a fight that will last for some considerable time mm -hmm. we need a lot of young people on our side uh, to win this battle we kind of find ourselves in between a rock and a hard place so the rock being right wing authoritarians who are against who push narratives of like you can't have too much freedom that's bad etc and we also don't want to end up in the hard place that is being in the left but being authoritarian we believe that democracy is a value that must be preserved so do you think that there are um arguments that we have to make defending democracy and socialism at the same time for the purposes of avoiding past mistakes. And so what do you think are lessons that can be instructive of present and future political conduct? I think one, one, one stark example of a, of a socialist attempt, or a, a one, one good example of an attempt to build socialism without democracy is the Soviet Union. Mm. And we all know what happened to the Soviet Union. I think mm -hmm. Rosa Luxemburg said it best when she wrote in, in her last pamphlet before she was murdered that uh, because of the lack of democratic institutions in Russia, the question of socialism can only be posed, but it can never be resolved. Mm. And those words of Rosa Luxemburg proved uh, prophetic. They tried to build socialism without, 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 without democracy. And uh, in the end, it basically it failed unraveled and it you know it it it, it murdered the stalinist regime murdered a lot of people mm -hmm. uh i think if you want to uh we want to not if if you do not want to repeat the mistakes of the past we should we should keep in mind that the struggle for 
socialism is the struggle for, for democracy. And you can only do that by one, even if you are in power, you should make sure that there, is, there, there is free, fair, competitive elections. You have to compete in elections. It's, it's a fate that we have to accept. Rosa Luxemburg said that freedom is, first of all, freedom for people who think different, differently. And that also applies to us, even if we are in power. We have yes. to give freedom to, to people who, do, who, who disagree with us. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's not a democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one example from the Soviet Union is, I think where the Soviet Union failed was that their desire to eliminate civil society, and civil society meaning that realm of uh, autonomous voluntary organizations, civil society as the realm of freedom outside of the state. If you read the history of the, of the Soviet Union, in, during the 10th Party Congress in 1921, there was a motion on the floor, and the motion was, and, and the, question, the question was, uh, now that the, the, the Bolsheviks have won power and they have established a worker state, what do you do with the trade unions? Mm. Because the idea is the trade unions represent workers' interests under capitalist rule. But now that you have a worker state, what is the role of the trade unions? I, in, in, the, in their heads, in their minds, the state represents the interests of the workers because it's a worker state. Lenin was the head, Trotsky was the Minister of Defense. So you no longer need trade unions any longer. They become redundant because it's the state that represents the class interests of the working class. So in 1921, they decided to dissolve trade unions because they were redundant. When Stalin came to power in 1924, Stalin, as the Secretary General and Head of the Politburo, had control over the, uh, all appointments in key positions in the state and in the party. So people like Trotsky were removed from power and Trotsky decided to regain control over the party by forming the left opposition. Mm -hmm. The problem was, if you are outside of the state, where do you get your social base? Ideally, you get your social base if you're a socialist from the trade unions, from the working class. How do you create? How do you get? How do you create your social base if you had if you don't have trade unions because you dissolved the trade unions in 1921, three years earlier? So even though Trotsky created a very small faction within the party called the Left Opposition, they were not able to withstand the rise to power of Stalin because you don't have trade unions, you don't have any means to contest the power of the state and the power of, of Stalin. So I think that was what the, one, of the gross, one of the gross mistakes of the Soviet Union. Uh, they destroyed civil society, they destroyed trade unions, they destroyed voluntary organizations outside of the state. All sectoral organizations were basically mere channels of, of the party and the Soviet state, whether that's the Komsomol or the women's section. So I think that's one of the one 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 of the lessons that we should learn from from past mistakes of the extreme left. Mm -hmm. Even if we are in power, you need civil society, you need autonomous organizations outside of the state and even autonomous organizations organizations outside outside of your own party in order for you to have a thriving and viable democracy. Otherwise, you end up with a Stalinist regime. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for that. Definitely putting that one on the notes. So do not dissolve civil society once we create the dream state. Let's say we have other young people listening to this podcast. They are 
perhaps asking themselves like, am I a social democrat? Am I a socialist? I'm trying to figure out what it is that I believe. They recognize, like they see the world around them. They recognize things about it. I want to ask you, what are some things that social democrats and socialists in Asia can banner that we did this? This is what we achieved here in this region. And that you can't attribute that to anybody else. This is what we got to achieve when we work together. We have two concrete achievements here in the Asian region. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, as I, I said earlier, we led the struggle for, for independence and against colonial, colonial rule. So as I said, uh, immediately after the Second World War, you had socialists becoming prime ministers in India, in Indonesia, and in Burma. And during that time, until the 1960s, we were a formidable force here in, in, in the region. Mm-hmm. And second is, we helped create the conditions that allowed the series of democratic transitions to occur during the 1980s until the 1990s. That began with the People Power Revolution in 1986, all the way to the reformacy in Indonesia in September, uh, in, 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 in 1998. So those are our two major contributions here in Asia. The struggle for independence and the democratization during the 1980s and 90s. I think right now the the the, the struggle is twofold. Number one is that how do you how do you defend the gains that we have won, uh, the gains of independence and the gains of of of, uh, of democratization uh, against this surging tide of populism and fascism. And number two is that as we defend those gains, how do we extend those gains by fighting for social welfare, fighting for education, fighting for healthcare, fighting for social protection? Mm-hmm. I think those are the challenges that we have to face uh, right now. And of course, it's, it, it's a difficult challenge, but it's being done. Uh, for instance, here in the Philippines, you have Akbayan that's fighting the current administration on the one hand, at the same time, it won a series of legislative battles of, that would help create that universe, that, that new healthcare regime of universal healthcare. In Burma, our comrades in DPNS and uh, SNLD is, uh, have a joint campaign to decentralize healthcare, while at the same time trying to change their constitution in order to make it more democratic and reduce the power of the military, of the Tatmadaw. And in Nepal, the Nepali Congress has been is one of the oldest parties here in Asia, and they have made significant strides in education by one, uh, improving the literacy rate in, in Nepal, and second, by ensuring gender parity at all school levels, whether that's in the primary or on, uh, in the secondary level. So it's difficult, but given the examples that we have, it's, it's possible. We can actually do it. Do you think that there are any current struggles that social democrats must fully join, if not lead? I can think of uh, three things. Mm-hmm. Number one is the campaign for climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, we cannot solve the problem of climate change as under individuals. a capital uh, as individuals and under a capitalist system. Mm-hmm. Because you know, uh, factories will just keep producing, companies yes. will just keep producing for profits, regardless of what happens to the climate. So you have, we have to. Uh, you, we have to take part in that struggle. At least I'm happy to, to note that social democratic parties and socialist parties are in the thick of the battle, mm-hmm. whether that's in Asia or in, 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 in the West. 
and and uh, second is that we have to gain we have to defend the gains that we have achieved against the rising rising tide of populism and uh, and uh, and uh, authoritarianism and uh, and fascism of course we it's it's not it's not a lonely battle we are we are struggling against fascism and populism along with other progressive groups along with with liberals but it's also a question of the vision the vision thing if we defeat the populists what kind of society are we going to create later on it will it be a liberal democratic state or will it be a, will it be a social democratic state i think the answer to that question is quite clear as far as we are concerned and number 3 i think the 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 the, the third main struggle for us is the the battle for social welfare how do we make sure that that people in asia are educated healthy and once they retire from 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 work they have social protection they have something to to rely on despite their own age i mean uh, they have contributed something to society society has to give back so i think those are the three struggles that we have not only to join but also to lead the struggle against climate change the struggle against uh, populism and the struggle for social welfare if let's say for example you are faced with a person like let's just say a regular person and i think it would be fair for me to make the judgment that a regular person when they hear the word social democracy when they hear the word socialism <laughs> alarm bells go off in the brain yeah what would you have to say to that person to perhaps maybe begin to start getting them onto our page as that is an integral part of our struggle to create the world that we want to live in we need to organize what would you say to that person who does not really have the best understanding of social yeah. democracy or socialism? At least in my case, I would begin by saying that the freedoms, whatever freedoms that you enjoy right now, we fought for it. Those who came before us, before us fought for it. That's why we enjoy those freedoms, however limited that they, that they may be. And second is that if you feel that we still have a lot of problems in this world, here in the region, then you should join us because we have a vision that we think that we think can address those problems so mm -hmm. at least in my case that's how i would that's how i would reply so there were several references in our previous conversation to young people and the big role that young people play in building a better world for everybody so with access to information today how do you think that young people can become educated about the inextricable link of socialism and democracy can young people influence the bigger global fight against democratic backlash and capitalist excesses uh i, I i'll first answer that at mm. the conceptual level and i'll give an example later on okay uh, i think i'm I'm, reve I'm i'm revealing my age here a bit but <laughs> i think we were the last generation gen x i'm a gen xer okay. we were the last generation to see the world without internet and social media we were the last generation. I mean, the internet only became became uh, became commercially available in 1991. So <laughs> I was in high school back then. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were we were the last generation. So I think the access to information of young people nowadays, the millennials and Generation Z, is is uh, they have greater access to information now than than our generation mm -hmm. and. Because they have greater access, 
socialists and social democrats like us have a greater have this greater platform to reach out to young people and i have confidence in the ability of young people to observe information and to trash out uh, the good information from the bad information i'll give you one good example of how young people influence other young people in to create their own movements mm-hmm. of course we we all know greta thunberg yes yes uh, uh, student strike for for climate uh, mm-hmm. she's known all over the world uh, some of the leaders young leaders of akbayan particularly in in bacolod in in negros occidental launched this campaign against coal mm-hmm. inspired by Greta Thunberg, inspired, inspired by the uh, student strike for, against climate change. So they lobbied the provincial government to sign an executive order stating that the province will, not, will, will be banning the use of coal as sources of energy and that they will only use uh, green energy uh, for, for the province. So they had this series of big, big uh, student walkouts in Bacolod, culminating on March 6, 2019, last year. So during that last big uh, street demonstration in front of the provincial capital, Governor Marañon met the students and in their presence signed an executive order saying that the province is banning the use of coal in Negros Occidental. Mm. So that's a, that was a big victory for the comrades in, in, in Negros Occidental, inspired by our comrades in, in the West, by Greta. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then on September 20, last year, 29, uh, 2019, so April, May, June, July, August, six, in a period of six months, the students in San Fernando, Pampanga, led the strike, marched on the streets of San Fernando, demanding the same to their provincial leaders. And how were they able to do it? Uh, we had no organizers. These were led by students from uh, the City College of San Fernando. Uh, we, have no, we have no presence in, in, in the City College of San Fernando. We don't have admire organizers there. Uh, but some of the some of the student leaders in that school and some of the teachers read about the student strike in Bacolod. They were inspired. So on their own, they organized a march on September 20, demanding the same that uh, uh, that at least the city should also ban should also ban coal in 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 in, in, San, in San Fernando. Uh, so you see you you see the the, the how how movements emerge because of social media, mm-hmm. even without even, even without direct organizers on the ground. I'm not saying that organize, we don't need organizers. You had organizers in, 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 in Bacolod. As far as the case of San Fernando is concerned, it will not be sustained if you don't reach out to these kids and organize them into a more coherent organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see the power of social media. You see the power of the internet. You see the power of how connected young people are nowadays and how they get inspired by the actions that we undertake. Uh, I think we, if we have the right message, if we undertake a, 
actions that are that are inspiring, we can young people can actually change the world. Oh yes. Okay. So thank you very much for for those anecdotes about what young people can do to change the world basically. So I guess the last thing that I want to ask you for this podcast is that as a young person, so I will now also reveal my age, I am a millennial, that it's very easy to become frightened and to become hopeless. Um, I think uh, Ursula Le Guin, uh, she's an author, she captured it very well that she once said that the divine right of kings used to be in a, used to be thought of as inescapable. So what can you say to them who are feeling frightened, who are feeling hopeless for them to be galvanized to action or any sort of message that you would want to give them? That's a very tough question. <laughs> well, I, of, of course, for all humans, it's, it's natural for us to feel depressed and uh, hopeless every now and then. But in my case, I never, I never considered myself as someone who is alone. Mm. I always saw myself as someone who is part of a historical process. There are comrades who went before me, fought for the ideals that, I, that we believe as social democrats and as socialists. And there will be comrades who will come after me to continue the dream and fight for the dream. The comrades that, 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 that has gone before us have made their contributions. And I, as an individual, is building on the contributions and the gains that they have achieved. And I'm hoping that once I'm gone, the comrades, you guys, the young people, mm-hmm. will continue whatever you know, our, our ancestors have done before. And until we reach at that ideal world we're in, there's no oppression. There's, there's mm-hmm. no, in the words of the beautiful song, the international, there are no gods mm-hmm. or masters. Mm-hmm. That, that, that ideal uh, socialist world. So I see myself as a drop in the ocean of history. And because I am, I may be a drop, but I'm a drop that is part of the ocean. And that gives me meaning. That makes me, makes me wake up in the morning drink coffee and ask myself, so what do I do now? Where is the next struggle? Mm-hmm. And how do, how do I contribute to that, to, 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 to the movement? We are never alone. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are comrades, we are part of a movement. Uh, the, there are people who have gone before us and there were people who will continue the struggle even though we're gone. And that's how, and that's how I, that's how I wake up in the morning. <laughs> that's what keeps, that's what keeps me going on. That I, I'm not alone. Okay. I'm not alone. Uh, I, I belong to a community. I belong to a party. I belong to a client. I belong to Southern Asia. I belong to a global movement. I belong to a historical process that will go on long after I'm gone. And that gives me hope and that gives me meaning. And that makes me happy. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that, this is Francis Isaac. He is the editor-in-chief of the Sakdem Asia Quarterly. Thank you so much for joining us today, for giving us a very good educational discussion. Thank you, Ben Cassie. Okay. Is there anything you want to shout out? Maybe you have like a book or a movie coming out. Now is the time for you to shout it out for all of our listeners across Asia and the world. I don't know. I'm, trying, I'm still trying to rewrite my thesis so that I can have it published <laughs> later on. So I don't know. 
If, if, if it's publishable, I am, I, you'll be the first one to know. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So thank you so much, Francis, for joining us today. And thanks to our audience for joining us on this episode of Sock Them Asia podcast. You can learn more about Sock Them Asia and our latest events and activities by visiting our website at SockThemAsia.com or like and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SockThemAsia. <laughs> <laughs>